1: In the UK, small and medium-sized enterprises account for 99.9% of the business population and for those who run them, it's more than just a job
0: We were responsible for putting 5 million monkeys into PG Tips and the story behind that is quite lovely Jack taught us of something called a survivor's obligation but he's passed that obligation over to us to live our best lives, to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be I stop sweating the small stuff.
1: Welcome listener to Beyond the Balance Sheet. I'm Ashley Bloom and I'm your host. In this podcast, we learn about some hugely inspiring people and discover that financial metrics are not the only measures of success. This week, we talk to Grant Morgan, CEO at Louis Kennedy, who deliver cause-related marketing solutions with campaigns that have raised over 250 million for good causes since 2001. We had the most insightful conversation about his biggest successes and how Grant managed to stay motivated following the passing of his son, Jack Morgan. Grant, welcome to the Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. I think all of our listeners are about to be incredibly inspired by not only your story, but also of your son Jack's story that we'll speak about later. But to kick things off, I'd love to hear who you are, what you do, why you do it.
0: My name is Grant Morgan. I'm 53 years old. I have a wife, Emma, four children, Jack, Joshua, Sam, and Charlotte. I always say that I have three children who can answer me back and one that can't. So we'll come on to that later. Uh, I'm founder of a business called Louis Kennedy, which will be 30 years old next year. And simply put, we facilitate partnerships between big brands and big charity to deliver real social good. Our work has delivered about a quarter of a billion pounds worth of tangible value. And there's been great intangible value in our work through the families that our work supports, the environment and some significant social good we've delivered globally.
1: And how did it all begin? How did you decide to start this business and what was your career journey?
0: So I am one of five. Dad uh, owned a factory in East London. Mum was a dedicated uh, mum and housewife. Uh, I left school without um, an education, but I came from a, a, a family with a lot of love and I went to college post, post-education for a few weeks to study law. And I remember the story of Donoghue and Stevenson, and it just didn't do it for me. I started working in the Whittington Hospital. And back in the day, hospitals would have in-house radio stations, which would deliver news sporting results and that sort of thing to the patients. And I was a a young lad of 15, 16. So I would walk around the wards and I would find out which horses the patients had bet on. And a lot of these individuals were really nearing the end of their lives. And I just wanted to do something nice for them. So when it came to delivering the racing results. I just told them that their horses had won. And my producer came in and said, what are you doing? <laughs> in far greater vociferous terms than that. And I explained that, you know, Stan on Ward 9 was about to die and he'd, he'd put a tenor on Dark Ivy and I thought it would make his day. That job was short-lived. But I did have a passion for radio and I did have a passion for writing and I started writing for a number of satirical publications, which I really enjoyed, but it didn't put food on the table. So at the age of 16, 17, I started working for my uncle. He had a sort of import-export business and we gave it 12 weeks either way and those 12 weeks turned into six years. I learnt uh, a lot of the rudiments of, of business, and, and my my uncle was a phenomenal man. I mean, you could run a six hour podcast just on on him. So he gave me he gave me my grounding into into the world of commerce, and I left him to work for quite a horrible individual for about eighteen months, real narcissist bully, and I just thought, no, I can't do this anymore. So in nineteen ninety one. I set up my own business. I really didn't have a clue what I was going to do. And because I'd come from a trading background, I just started really buying and selling products. I guess the creative in me found excitement in designing products and then having them made and then selling them on. And then in 1995, everything changed. We were approached by a charity who'd been given the rights to Thomas the Tank Engine. And they approached us and they said, we've seen the toys that you make promotionally. We've been given the rights to Thomas the Tank Engine. Would you make things for us and we'll sell them to raise money for our cause? So we did and we made little three-dimensional figurines and we found that there was a, a market for those and they were selling them quite nicely. And then we made badges and then we made soft toys. And I looked at this market and I thought, there's something in this. There's something in bringing retailers charities and the licensed industry together for the greater good and i spoke to my team and i said this is where i want to take this business the words corporate and social responsibility hadn't been defined Mm -hmm. we were at the precipice of that explosion in fact we created the explosion and within 10 years we absolutely owned that space. There wasn't a a retailer we weren't working with. We held about 70 to 100 licenses from the big entertainment companies to produce products that were collectible for charity that were distributed through brands and through retailers. And we'd carved a real niche for ourselves and it was uh, a very successful and, and, and fun time.
1: And what would you say are your biggest successes? So some of the campaigns that you've found yourself most proud of since you started?
0: We were responsible for putting 5 million monkeys into PG Tips. And the story behind that is quite lovely. So through our journey, we really got to understand a number of facets of commerce. We started to understand how retail worked, how brands worked. We got under the skin of charity and fundraising and also how to best exploit intellectual property from the licensing companies. Mm -hmm. And when ITV Digital, which was one of the first digital channels, when it went bust, it had been using Monkey, the little fabric monkey that that we now associate with PG Tips. It had been using it as a promotional device. They went bust and there was a big bun fight as to who owned the rights to monkey so it was created by an agency called mother so they believed that they had the rights to monkey the the, the puppet or the character itself was created by uh, the jim henson company so they believe they owned the rights mm-hmm. itv digital believed they owned the rights but a very good friend of mine whose name is piers morgan who's not the piers morgan he made the toys he has a great factory in china making soft toys And he was appointed to make all of these monkeys and he said do you know something Grant? i actually own the rights because i made all the patterns i worked with him and we gifted the rights in monkey to comic relief and we said just sit on these rights because one day they'll be valuable and a few years later we facilitated a partnership between themselves comic relief and unilever who own pg tips You won't remember this, but many, many years ago, monkeys, chimpanzees, were used to promote PG tips. So there was a connection. There was a fit. And a licensing deal was put together where Comic Relief offered the rights to Unilever to use monkey in their press and PR and comms. And we were integral to that deal. And we ended up making lots of monkeys, putting them in lots of packets of PG tips and raising a phenomenal amount of money for Comic Relief. I'm proud of that piece of work because we were integral to that piece from the embryonic stages all the way through to the partnership that still exists today, some 10 years on.
1: It sounds like when you obviously worked in the hospital and you did the hospital radio and kind of wanted to do as much good as possible then, and whilst when you worked for your uncle, your career kind of shifted it sounds like you always had in your head this desire to do good for the world in one way or another, because it started that way. And that's where you took your business. Do you think that that was always in you? Or do you think that that kind of developed as you went on?
0: It's a really good question. So my father arrived in, in the UK in 1938, on something called the transport. And for people who don't know, Hitler wanted to get as many Jews out of, uh, out of Europe as possible. And before he came up with his final solution, he offered families the opportunity to put their children onto trains. So in German, the word for, for child is Kind, and transport is self-explanatory. So the Kindertransport made made the German economy very, very wealthy by virtue of taking lots of cash of parents who wanted to get their children safely out of Europe. And my father was on that train or one of those trains with his sister, who was a year and a half older than him and arrived in this country with his gas mask and his hat and his coat and his little bag and was fostered in effect. So he arrived with nothing. I think when you grow up in an environment where, one of your parents has lived through that horror. It makes you realise that life isn't about the material. It's not about what someone has, it's about who they are. So maybe subconsciously, I was always going to perform in a sector that delivered social good. I just didn't know it at that point.
1: I mean, that story in itself is just unbelievable. And I can imagine growing up With that, of course, it affects your life on a deeper level, as you say, subconsciously, because how can it not? And I think the amount of good that you've done is and continue to do is just an absolute testament to that. What would you say is your business superpower? What is it that you'd say you do that absolutely nobody else does?
0: I will not take no for an answer. Some of our greatest successes have come from somebody telling me either no or... I'm I'm just going to pass because it's too hard to do, or I talk about the too hard to do pile, that when you present somebody with an opportunity, it's easier to put it on the too hard to do pile than it is for them to actually say yes and execute it. I think our other superpower is we deliver on our promise. If we say we're going to do something, we do it. It really is as simple as that. And my uncle used to say, if you're, if you're going to deliver in pink on Thursday, don't deliver in brown on Friday. Just do what you say you're going to do. And that is a bit of a superpower because lots of people pay lip service and very few people deliver on their promise. And that can be applied to your life as well as your business.
1: Mm-hmm. If
0: you say you're going to do something, just do it. I
1: think that's a really good piece of advice. Now, this really wouldn't be a podcast about your story without telling the story about the passing of your son, Jack, who was quite literally a force of nature. Can you start by simply telling the listeners Jack's story?
0: So Jack is my eldest of four. He was born in February 97. My father, who always believed that once you passed on, you became worm food and there was nothing after this life. He was very firm in that belief, and it's the polar opposite of my belief. And I remember 18 hours before he passed, I said to him, you do realise that you think you're going to be worm food and I think I'm going to see you again. And he said, yeah, I do know that. I said, well, you're just going to have to make me a promise that when I see you again, you're going to apologise to me for being wrong. My father walked into the hospital, and Jack was a few hours old, and he looked at him and he looked back at me, And he said, he's been here before. And that came from a man who believed absolutely nothing. Jack was gifted the most phenomenal brain. And he was an A-star student. He was very fortunate that he didn't really have to study very hard. He graduated in uh, maths engineering. He was a specialist in artificial intelligence. He was a very kind boy, a very polite boy. He really loved the ladies. So Jack was in his second year at uni and he was a gym freak. And he was on holiday with his then girlfriend, Olivia. And he was in the best shape that he could be in both mentally and physically. And came back from from Mexico, looked great and rang up Emma, my wife and said, Mum, I've got a a watery eye. And she said, well, just monitor it. And if it gets any worse, go to the GP. Jack went to the GP and the GP diagnosed him with something called blepharitis, which is an eczema of the eye. And he came home with some ointment and was told to go back six weeks later. Jack always told us he knew his body better than anybody else. And asked Emma to get him an appointment with a consultant, double sharpish, because he knew something was wrong. And he was absolutely right. He had a tumour growing on the inside of his eye. And already lumps were appearing in his neck. And almost immediately, he was admitted to the Royal Marsden. He had four rounds of treacherous chemo, lost all his weight, became bald. He then had six weeks of daily radiotherapy. And he always said that he would have taken the chemo over the radio any day of the week and come February 18 there was no traces of cancer in his body and he took some time out he went to Australia we've got family in Byron and in Sydney jumped out of aeroplanes and just lived his best life and then he went back to uni and he came home from the gym over Christmas he said dad I got a really bad pain in my in my back I really hope the cancer hasn't come back and it had, and it had metastasized into both of his lungs. Uh, it was inoperable, it was incurable. He fought an o- amazing fight. He applied for a job in artificial intelligence while he was going through chemo out of thousands of candidates, and he got the job to start the following September. He developed an app for cancer sufferers and he took his degree. He got his degree. He got a two-one in maths engineering while he was fighting the most horrific cancer. Bristol gave him an award for getting through such adversity. And it's subsequently, since his passing, been renamed the Jack Morgan Award for Arda.
1: Incredible.
0: And Jack started documenting his journey on the day that he got diagnosed on Instagram, which was really to protect us more than anything else, because he didn't want our friends and family driving us mad every 5 minutes with what was going on and before he knew it he had 30,000 followers hanging on his every single word and jack was never about jack he was only about he was only about others so he used it to educate people about cancer to normalize the conversation around cancer he changed people's lives jack morgan changed people's lives by the way They thought about their own lives and he turned me into the man that I have become today. Jack taught us of something called a survivor's obligation. This normally applies to to cancer survivors who are guilty, if you like, that they've survived whereas others have, have passed. But he's passed that obligation over to us to live our best lives, to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. I stopped sweating the small stuff. I kept negativity at bay. Um, And the minute he got diagnosed, I didn't have any other option but to focus on the important. And to this day, I lead a very balanced and calm life. I don't let anything upset me. And I hold that mirror up to myself to make sure that I'm living my best life for Jack. Ready to pop the question?
1: I saw on Jack's Instagram, he wrote, I didn't come this far to only come this far. And I just think that is the most incredible quote. And I think the fact that he has absolutely left a legacy is just incredible. And I'd really like you to talk us through some of the work that you and your family are kind of carrying out now in his name, because I know so much as happened since and you still frequently post on his instagram and just talk us through some of what's been going on
0: so i I will answer that question but i'd like to i'd just like to add some context if i may because lots of people ask me how i cope and i have a really strict coping mechanism so i'm jewish but i'm not religious i don't believe in an invisible deity but i am hugely spiritual and I do believe in, in energy. And I think that all religion um, humanizes that energy and calls it God. Whether it's the, the Hindus with Ganesh or the Christians with Christ or the Jews with Hashem or the Muslims with Allah. I do believe it's just humanizing that, that innate energy that's available to all of us. So when Jack passed, I believed he went to another place. that He's sitting in another room, if you like. I can't see him. And I can't touch him. But one day that door will be open to me and I will be reunited with him again. And I have nothing to support this. But I I do believe it with every fibre of my being. So I wake up thinking about him. I go to sleep thinking about him. And I don't know if I'm going to be given 12 more hours on this planet or 40 more years on this planet. In the time continuum, that's a short amount of time, irrespective. But I do know that I'll see him again. So... That offers me great amount of comfort and a great deal of comfort. So with that knowledge and taking on board that I've got a survivor's obligation and I've got to live my best life. My job now to the day that I'm reunited with him is to preach his gospel like some sort of evangelical loon. As you say, I post on his Insta when when it's relevant. We have run quite a significant amount of fundraising in his name for his three charities. So he was treated at the Marsden. His pain relief was catered for at the North London Hospice and he did some work and we have some counselling at High Cancer Care, which is a small, it's not that small actually, but it's a local cancer establishment that helps with bereavement and also helps with people going through cancer. We ran the first Jack Morgan football tournament last november which raised eight eight nine thousand pounds to the north london hospice there have been head shaves for the marsden there's been tough mudders for high jack became very close with a lady called lauren marne who runs you you me in the big c on the bbc podcast lauren was very important to jack and jack was very important to lauren and she's become really dear to me and my family and she set up be more jack day which is a day in the year where you pledge to just be a little bit kinder, a little bit nicer, to be a bit introspective, whether that's fundraising, whether that's delivering social good to the community, or whether it's just doing something to make yourself a better person. And we could all do with being a bit more Jack. And if anybody wants to visit his page, it's it's me underscore JMO. And you will see a remarkable life and enter life unfold through that that medium
1: yeah I mean what he did was just so incredibly inspiring and educational and I really do think it's so important that if you're listening you do head over to that Instagram channel and read it because it really does change your mindset to every aspect of how you look at life so I know that a lot of business owners who have gone through something like this or have gone through a loss or just anything really, really, really tough to get through struggle to feel motivated and struggle to not feel isolated as well in that kind of pain. And I guess what I want to know is how did you keep yourself motivated to just carry on? And I know you've said you were doing what you could to basically live the life you wanted to live, but what would you advise or tell other
0: people? It, it's very difficult because grief isn't prescriptive and how, how individuals run their businesses and their lives certainly isn't, isn't prescriptive. And you have to be made of, I guess, pretty strong stuff to be able to cope with the loss of a child and keep your business buoyant. I'm privileged in that my team have been with me a long time. They kept the ship afloat and they allowed me to take the time out to focus on Jack. I said at the head of this interview, this podcast, that I worked for a really difficult and a nasty man. And I decided that that when I ran my own business, I would be the polar opposite to this individual, that I would treat my staff with respect, that I wouldn't bully them, that I would share in the wealth and I'd accept that my skill sets are limited and to surround myself with people who do things far better than me and acknowledge that they do them far better than me and delegate those responsibilities. And I think I I pretty much achieved that objective, but equally to deliver on that promise to be as good as uh, an inclusive employer as I could be. And I think it paid dividends in the time that I was out the business because they really did pull together for me and for, for themselves. And I think that they feel that this business is as much theirs as it is mine so I was very very grateful I am asked a question a lot if I'm depressed and I'm not depressed if I was depressed I wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning but there is a dark darkness inside me there's a sadness inside me and that's never going to go away but I do know if I ever have days when I'm not on it I can hear Jack in my ear saying for God's sake man get yourself into the office, go and do some good business, be creative, do what you do best. He wouldn't have had it. And once you read through his blog and you see the way that he spoke about his illness and he was in so much pain and he had a tragic, tragic last three, four months and never once complained. So what have I got to complain about? I I do believe in business and in life. There's a solution to every problem every challenge. I don't like the word problem. There's a solution to every challenge. The one thing I can't fix is Jack. And I know that I accept that. But anything else that's thrown at me, there will be there'll be a solution.
1: And would you say that when Jack passed, did it affect your perception of business?
0: No, I think it crystallized it, if anything. So keeping negativity out of my personal life, which I do, there's negativity you can't control. I couldn't control Jack's cancer. So I had to learn to best manage that. So to your, to your question, I was already leading that sort of life. And when he passed, I channeled all the positivity into my working day, into be, and I'm gonna say it again, the best version of myself or the best version of ourselves that we could, we could be.
1: And you mentioned that you had a time off, obviously, when everything was going on. Did you have to do a lot to kind of rebuild the business after that? If you could just talk me through what your process was to rebuild and get things kind of back to how they are today.
0: So the business wasn't in a great state before Jack was diagnosed. The, the landscape had changed in my space. And although my business, Louis Kennedy has a great reputation and pedigree in what we do. Retailers and brands hadn't wanted to support charity in the same way as it had, and it was really affecting the business. And I'd made a decision that I could do one of two things. I could close it, or I could invest my own cash into it because I believed in what the future was going to hold, and that's exactly what I did. I took a a, a loan out on my house, quite a significant one, Gave us some financial stability and also put some 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 cash in the business to help with our with our own cash flow. And in in that first 12 months, we turned it from a from a negative to quite a significant positive. And then Jack got diagnosed. And we're only a small agency. We're only six people. It needed me leading it. And I wasn't leading it. And it was tough. It was very tough. And Jack passed and I looked at the state of the business and I genuinely believed as I did two years prior that we had something so we rebranded new website new corporate video appointed a new development director appointed a new social media manager and I wouldn't say we are cooking with gas but we're really starting to turn it round and the plan now is in the next three to four years to take it to a certain turnover level, a certain EBIT, with X amount of cash in the business and sell it to a, a big agency that wants that wants social, social good and purpose in their armory of products that they're gonna they're gonna sell.
1: If you were kind of speaking to other business owners at the moment who are going through something whether it's their personal life affecting their business or the current climate with the recession or anything like that. What would your advice be to them if they feel like they want to give up on their business?
0: If you genuinely believe in your product, you genuinely believe in your service, you believe in your own ability, irrespective of what a third, fourth, fifth party may tell you, then you have to go with your gut and you have to pursue it. But to be honest, the house, the business, there was always gonna be a solution to those challenges. And I had great belief in our ability as a team to, to turn it round and we are now turning it round. The advice I would give is be true to yourself and if you, if you believe in that truth, then do not give
1: up. I think when you go through a loss, it puts a lot into perspective, especially with regards to work-life balance. Because it's so important for business owners, you know, to spend that quality time with their family, because that's what it's all about. Ultimately, I think most people who go into business in the first place, it's to be able to spend that quality time with their family. How do you maintain that kind of healthy work life balance?
0: I have been rehearsing for lockdown all my life. So when it hit, I was delighted. I've got a very, very, very small circle of friends who I love to death. And they've been my inner circle for the last year. Jack passed just over a year ago. I'm really happy with my wife. I'm really happy being with my kids. I don't need to go out a lot. I don't invest in the material. I've got a beautiful home, which is owned partly by two banks now, but I'll get over that one. <laughs> I love spending time at home. I'm a real homebird. I'm a massive football fan. I'm very happy with who I am. I'm very happy with my wife and kids. And I think when you go through something as we have, it either tears you apart or it brings you closer together. And I'm delighted to say it's brought us closer together. I'm at my happiest now when I'm talking about Jack. But I'm at my my happiest when I'm at home, vegging on the sofa, watching my team. And equally, I've invested the the gain from running a successful business over 30 years into my kids, into their education, into lovely holidays. Because isn't isn't that what it's about? I don't think anyone ever on their deathbed said, I wish I would have spent more time in the office.
1: And if you had one piece of advice to give, whether it's for someone starting a business or starting their passion project or for somebody who, for whatever reason, feels the need to kind of give up? What would that advice be?
0: I don't know if it's one. I don't know if it's one piece of advice, but if I had to give one, it's it's be true to be true to the idea. If you genuinely believe it, eat, sleep, and drink it. I I, I fell foul of that advice. I got involved in things I shouldn't have got involved in. I didn't stay on that road. I invested in projects I shouldn't have invested in, but I learned from that. And now I am absolutely focused between nine and five, five days a week on growing, building, scaling and selling this business. 100%, nothing else.
1: And what's next for Louis Kennedy? What's next for the business in terms of I mean, you can't talk so much about upcoming projects, but the types of things that you'll be working on or where you see the business scaling and growing to.
0: Well, I think we're beautifully placed because since lockdown, businesses, I think, realise they need to be a bit kinder. In fact, there's some empirical data which shows that um, brands and companies that are better to their staff and better to their customers and better to the community and the environment are far more profitable than those that are just chasing the, the pound. But because businesses think that way, if they don't have purpose in their DNA, they don't have a business. And we are beautifully placed to help them on that journey, whether it be through partnerships, whether it be through research, whether it be through consultancy. There are lots of agencies out there selling corporate purpose all of a sudden, but we've been doing it for 30 years. We, we wrote the T-shirt, if you like. So I think we're placed to to do some really funky and exciting work with some really big businesses who probably need a little bit of help in this
1: space. I would absolutely love to pick your brains at a later date, more about your business and the campaigns you've worked on. You work with like Matt Lucas and just really cool people.
0: Matt is also a a very close and personal friend. And Matt is the only person who got inside Jack's head in those last few months. Jack had an hour and a half with Matt and... Some of that conversation will remain privileged between the two. Some of it Matt has subsequently shared with me, but it's made me even prouder of Jack than, than I ever was.
1: Honestly, your story is so inspiring, and I think for anyone to hear from somebody who's gone through so much, it, I think, will make a lot of people not feel so alone in kind of not just their business journey, but the personal struggles and how the two connect and it's such an inspiring story and I think a lot of people will really appreciate kind of hearing all about it in such a kind of deep level of detail so thank you very much
0: thank you thank you
1: that was probably one of the most inspiring and aspirational conversations that I have ever had and I think The biggest taking is to just be absolutely relentless. Don't give up because we just don't know how long our journey might be. Do what you need to do to achieve your goals because ultimately that's what life's all about. If you liked this episode, go have a listen to the rest of the series. We are Raffingers and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at Raffingers. Alternatively, you can check out our website www.raffingers.co.uk I have been your host, Ashley Bloom, and this has been Beyond the Balance Sheet.